Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome to 5 Plus 1, a small business podcast. On this podcast, Tom Shabbat will interview a small business owner or someone that works with small business. Now let's do this. Hello and welcome to part two of my podcast with Joel Rizbera of Weedco Delivery. We mentioned this at the end of the part one. Um, we're going to do a Gladwellian experiment on memory of an experience we both had back in 96 um, when we were held for accessory to murdering a policeman. Um, I have already recorded my memory. Joel has not heard it yet. And Joel is now going to give his memory of that day or everything leading up to it and that day and beyond. And then we are going to compare and contrast and see how off our memories are or how on our memories are. It's been a long time since this happened. Joel, how you doing? I'm doing good. I was just thinking of how ironic it is that I'm in the cannabis business. And I think there might be some correlation between the cannabis and my memory being foggy of that incident so many years ago. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about it after, but I have something to say on that too. All right. Are you ready to uh, share with us what happened on that day and leading up to it? I am ready. Okay. Go through it. My first memory that I remember from the hotel that we pulled into after, I wanna say, I don't know, 15 or 16 or so hours of driving almost continuously. I remember you saying, this is the best decision you've made in a long time. And shortly after that, we went back to our hotel room where we were showering getting ready to get back on the road. I think you had already showered. And then you were in the hotel room. I went in and showered. And when I came out of the room, you were on the phone with an intent look on your face. And I started talking to you a little bit and you kind of gave me one of those shut up moves and looks. So I'm like, all right, whatever. And so I kind of started roaming around the room, picking stuff up. I'm gonna ask you another question and you completely ignored me. So I uh, started writing in the travel journal that I was keeping, and I was like, Shabbat's being a jerk right now. I don't know what his problem is. I guess whoever's on the phone's more important than me. And then I think I borrowed your shirt. I had your long sleeve denim type shirt on, and you told me to take it off. And I thought you were continuing to be a dick. So I took off the shirt, kind of threw it at you. Like, there you go. Thanks, man. And uh, you still weren't even really making eye contact with me. You were just on the phone. So I walked over to the window, and that's when I saw stuff happening out in the parking lot. I remember seeing police or SWAT team type officers ushering some maids. I remember seeing EMT people working on something or somebody. And then I remember taking in the rest of the, the scene. I remember there was an ambulance there, a couple cop cars. And then as I'm scanning the rest of the scene, the bigger picture, I see this guy that's standing beside a van 
look at me up at the window, and then he jumped behind the van. And then he looked at you, and I was about to just say, what, you should, you know, check this out. You know, something weird is going on, and you're still intently on the phone. And so I look back, and then I see their police taping off the parking lot. And then as I'm looking around, you finally say, hey, the SWAT team's coming up. They said to open the door and then put your hands out and they'll tell you what to do. And that was it. There was no explanation of what happened. It was just the SWAT team's coming up. And at the time, I don't overthink things, I guess. I'm just like, okay, SWAT team's coming up. All right, I'll do what you say. So I opened the door and I put my hands out. And at the time, I don't know if you remember, but I had long hair, middle of my back at least pretty sure I had a beard going at that time and I was on the road with the, that rock band and so I had a chain wallet I think I had motorcycle boots and I uh, stepped out of they said take yeah they said take three steps slowly put your hands up against the wall so as I was doing that I took the three steps with my hands against the wall and I left through my hair that's hanging down and I saw some kind of officer, I forget what kind, if it was SWAT or local or state or whatever it was, and they had some kind of a weapon pointed at me, and then I looked to my right, it was the same thing. Multiple officers pointing rifles and guns at me, and I started to get confused, and then a cop came up, stood behind me, put his knee in my small of my back, put my arms behind my back, and started cuffing me. And so I said, why are you cuffing me? He just said, shut up. Instead of walking down the hall, and then turned around a corner, put me up against another wall by the stairs. And then as he's holding me there, another cop came up, grabbed me by my wrists, turned me around, sort of walked me down the stairs. And I said, what's going on? And he said, a police officer has been shot. And I said, is he okay? And he said he was shot in the head. And then... As we started the final descent of the stairs, there was the there was a Howard Johnson, I believe, and there was an Indian couple that owned it. And I remember them ducking down behind the front desk with just their eyes visible from the top of the desk, watching me walk down the stairs and then be let out the front doors, which was again guarded by some armed cops. Maybe just one that I remember. But as I get let out, they took me right out front and sat me down on the stoop and I'm sitting there for not long, but I'm starting to take in the scene because it's all happening right in front of me in the parking lot. And so now I see more ambulances, more cop cars. And it might even be a helicopter at that point, or it might have been later. Um, but I remember being messy. And then straight ahead of me, maybe, I don't know, 40 yards, 50 yards or so, in front of me, behind a van, was an officer or somebody pointing a, a, some kind of rifle at me. And then the same thing to my left behind a telephone pole, another rifle being pointed at me, and the same thing to the right um, down at the end of the parking lot. And that's when you came out, and they came, they had you cuffed, they brought you out, got you down right next to me, and I look at you, because now I think you might have answers, because I'm starting to put it together, you might have been on the phone, but somebody was telling you something since you told me that the SWAT team was coming up. So I look at you and I say, Shabbat, 
what is going on? And the officer shouted, no talking. So another cop or somebody came up behind us, picked us up, walked us through the parking lot and put us in separate cop cars that were parked parallel to the parking lot of the hotel or parallel to the, the hotel. And not more than 20 feet to my right was a dead body in a pool of blood covered with a body bag. Like the body bag was just placed over the top. So I could see his, I think it was his hair and maybe part of an arm and a hand and I think a foot. And um, I was sitting in that car, taking in the scene and just trying to figure out what was going on. And then I saw a mobile information unit looked like a, a tank or some kind of a cross between a Hummer and a bulldozer or something. I don't even know what it was, but it was huge. And it seemed like it was uncalled for. And there seemed to be more unmarked cop cars. There was definitely more police. There was uh, definitely more ambulances. It was just, at that point, it was kind of a madhouse. But it was just, uh, it was a lot to take in. And then after, I would say about an hour or so, I started getting angry. And it was Williams, Arizona in the middle of summer, if I recall. And it wasn't cold. It was, it was with my long hair and my beard and jeans and boots. I just remember it being sweltering in the back of that cop car. And they had me cuffed with my hands behind my back. And they had the window cracked. The, the car wasn't running, so there was no AC. Uh, but I kind of tried to breathe out the crack of the window. And as I was doing that, I started to get pissed. And so I start yelling. You know, I want my phone call. I don't know what's going on. This is bull. And just going, you know, down the line of everything that I could think of just to make myself feel better that at least I was heard. And someone was going to come and tell me something. So I shut up for a little bit. And I start to try to piece together why I'm in that car because now it's not a mistake. It's I'm really in that car and I'm really going to stay in there for some reason. So, I don't know, my attitude's always been I didn't do anything wrong. So, you know, this will all work out fine. I didn't, I don't think it'll work out. So, I see an unmarked cop car like you see in those 70s cop shows that has that siren that you can take out of the inside of the car and stick it on the hood. Yeah. And then the door was ajar open and the body was right outside of that opening. And so I'm trying to piece together what could have happened. And so it kind of looked like that body was the cop and that cop had, you know, got out of the car opened the door, put his elbows on the roof of the cop car, unmarked cop car, pointed the gun at our hotel room, got shot in the head, fell backwards, and then that's where he lay. So that's what I'm figuring must be the case. But I still don't really care. You know, I just I just don't want to be in that car anymore, and I'm, and I'm, I'm mad. So I keep yelling again, and I yell, and I yell, and I yell. And as I'm doing that, there are cops that are passing by our cars, and they're giving me this look. And at the time, it didn't really register what it was. It was just they're cops, and they're dicks, and I didn't do anything wrong, and I don't deserve this, and all of those kinds of attitudes. Until the thought reached my brain that you and I were the only ones 
in custody for the murder of a police officer. And I instantly changed the way that I'm thinking about it. And I'm now feeling like maybe you and I are the biggest scapegoats ever. And then wait, so these cops think I'm a cop killer and I'm lucky if I make it out of here, what's going to happen? They're going to take me to the police station and like book me and put me in jail. And should I call my parents or do I call my parents or do I call a lawyer? Um, what if they don't even want to bring me to, what if they just take me out back and they shoot me because I killed one of their brothers and they don't want to, to go to trial or maybe I get let off. And so I'm just spinning of what the possibilities could be. And once I realize it could be as bad as me going to jail for the rest of my life or being taken out back and having two bullets put in my head, I shut up and I just sit there and I keep thinking and thinking and thinking. I just got to that point where I couldn't do it anymore. I just didn't want to think about it. So I took a nap and I slept for a while. You know, it's at least 45 minutes or so. And so I think I'd been in that cup for at least, I would say three hours or so at that point. And an officer finally comes to the window and he says, uh, how you doing fast time? And I say, not too good, actually. I've been sitting in this cop car for the last three hours with my hands cuffed behind my back and my shoulders are killing me. I haven't had anything to drink. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know what's going on and before I can explode. He's like, all right, fast time. Just calm down. We're getting to the bottom of it. Everything's getting worked out right now. Just, just take it easy. I said, well, can you at least take the cuffs off and, and, and you know, cuff me in the front? He said, I'll, ch I'll check for you. So he takes off. And he comes back with a, a cola and a blueberry muffin or and pulls me out of the car. And I start to smile. I'm like, I'm out of here. Good. You know, screw this guy in this place. And he takes the cuffs off, puts my hands in front of me and recuffs my hands, puts me back in the car, gives me the cola and the muffin. And suddenly the fast time hanging there and leaves. Oh, I chugged that cola and I swear it felt like it was like 88 degrees and I could barely choke it down, but it was better than nothing. But my mouth was still so dry. I couldn't put a bite of that muffin in my mouth. I couldn't, I couldn't get it down. So I'm sitting there for a while longer. And then the, I mean, it was at least another half hour or more. And then the, the news station started to show up. And I remember channel, who knows what the channel was, let's say channel four and channel six show up and they set a camera up in the rear of the police car, the rear window filming me. And then another one at the back window filming me. And I'm sweating and I'm bearded and I'm long hair and I'm angry. And I start to say dumb things toward the camera. I don't, I don't know if they could hear any too. of it. And I'm sure I did. Absolutely, I'm sure I did. And I realized that when I'm scanning the crowd after my little rant, and I see all these people gathered behind the police tape at the parking lot of the hotel, and as people are looking at all the stuff going on, one child locked eyes with me. And as he started looking at me, it changed my demeanor a little bit. I'm like, I don't know, I had this, this moment. And it sort of put a smile on my face. And right at that moment, his mother saw him looking at me and me looking at him. And she grabbed his face with her hand over his eyes. And it was almost like she almost broke his neck, spinning his head away from looking at me. 
And that was the moment I realized to everyone there, I was a cop killer. And I, I stopped looking at the cameras, I stopped talking, and I just sat there quietly. And I don't know how much time passed, but then another officer or detective, and it might've been the, the, the pair of detectives or just one of them came by. One was a female, one was a male. And the male one came up to me. He's like, uh, whose marijuana was in that room? And I said, there was no marijuana in that room. He said, don't get smart with me, wise guy. There was marijuana in that room. You know it. And your friend back there says he saw it before, but it doesn't belong to him. So what are you going to say, smart guy? I'm like, all right, well, that did belong to me, but there was no marijuana in it. I'd already smoked it all on the way here. He said, well, well, hold on real quick. I never he... said that i seen it before. He said I didn't know who the one. <laughs> well, that's, said... that, that's a cop tactic that I wasn't wise enough to back then. I mean, I was going to cop to it anyway. I mean, I was, I was at that point scared enough to tell him if I wore women's underwear. So he says, that's a felony offense in this state, and you can go away for, I forget what he threatened me with. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. And so I think the, the female detective came over, and they asked me a few more questions. I don't really remember what they said, what they asked me. But to me, it was unimportant. I just gave them information that I needed to have. And at that point, I kind of gave up on whatever I had to say helping me. So I was just kind of telling them whatever they wanted to hear or whatever I needed to say, to be honest. Maybe it was begging them to read my road journal or trying to explain why I shouldn't have been in that car. But I could tell that they barely gave it. And then they ended up pulling me out of the car and then walking me over to where my car was. And then they continued giving me about the cannabis, the weed, that hitter box that I had. And you said... Well, how about the last five hours we spent in the back of that cop car can be our punishment? And then some other random cop that was there said, uh, yeah, I know this has been an experience that, um, you know, you might want to talk to somebody about. And there is someone here that you can speak to if you feel like it would be helpful to talk to someone about this. And either it was you or me or both of us. We nope, just we're, we're free to go. They said, yeah, we'll take you up to your room, get your belongings. So I remember going up there, and I remember the, the room being tossed, trashed, crap everywhere. And then on the way there, on the way to the room, back to the room, the other cop that brought us to the room, I remember kind of starting to bitch to him, saying, you know, just how upset I was, like how angry I was, how I had been put out, and it was against, you know, what America stood for, whatever my whole attitude was and then he said yeah well at least you didn't have a gun pointed to your head for 16 hours straight or something like that and me just looking at him like what that happened to you and he just looked at us and said yeah it did it's like okay i don't have room to talk about anything i'm just gonna shut up now let's go get our stuff get the hell out of here and so i remember there were still officers in our room and I think one of them either handed me my journal or it was sitting somewhere and I asked one of them something about it. And I thought one of them said something like, you know, we read your road journal, whatever they called it. And something like it helped them understand the situation. 
And then I just remember us leaving and we went to a little cantina down the road, sat at the bar, ordered some Mexican food, got a shot of Cuervo and we had a Dos Equis and watched the local news that was on at the bar. And I think at that point they explained, I think it was the only time we ever heard what happened, when they explained how uh, a man had abducted a 16-year-old girl had went to a gas station and charged gas with his credit card, went to the same hotel as us, charged the hotel room on his credit card. Then the officer came, tracked him through that, called him out, and the guy shot the cop in the head, turned the gun on himself, shot himself in the head. So he was a dead body that we were looking at for five plus hours laying there in the parking lot of that Howard Johnson in the middle of the sun in Arizona, which still to this day baffles me. But I guess the helicopter had, the helicopter was there in the beginning because they had airlifted the officer to a local hospital. But I think it, on the news, they said that he, he died upon arrival or prior to arrival. And, uh, and then they said two men were also held on drug related charges. And, that was it. <laughs> that is so interesting. Like, yours is much better than mine. Yours is much more detailed. It's pretty much exact same, but the details that you remember, a lot of them are the same, but a lot of them are different. And I can't wait for you to hear mine. I'm going to email I can't it to wait you. either. I'm going to email it to you once we get off this. And then tomorrow, after you've listened to it, we will compare and contrast nice. our memories of that day excellent well i want to add one other thing okay right after that you admitted to me you told me when that happened to you and how you handled it because you said you know when they told me i went out the door and they said take three steps forward slowly put your hands on the wall and you picked up one leg two inches then three inches then four inches then five inches then you moved it forward a little bit and then you lifted up another two inches then you moved it forward a little bit, another two inches, to the point where they had to tell you to speed it up. And you yeah. said to me, I'm not going to get shut over my leg too fast. Well, you had so much that. more knowledge because yeah. you were on the phone with that guy the whole time. So you kind of knew no, but you I know, know, the whole scene of what was... I don't want to get into it right now. So we'll do it after we, we hear and we talk about it. But I didn't know till we got, okay. till I turned around and I saw the cops. That's when I started moving slow, so slowly they had to tell me to speed up because I didn't expect to see that when I turned around. Even though I knew a SWAT team oh, would be there. It's not what you, I don't know, I just didn't expect to see <laughs> SWAT team trying to get me instead of trying to help me. It was just surreal. It, it was almost like my brain couldn't connect what was happening to reality. I just assumed that there was some kind of joke happening or there was just a big mistake that any second someone's like oh no these are the wrong guys no let these guys go and when after five hours that didn't happen my attitude changed all right i can't wait to talk about this all right buddy i'll give you a call tomorrow we'll get finish it up appreciate it tommy later buddy okay so it was late summer or early fall in that area in 1996 and i was moving to los angeles and right before i was gonna go the living situation changed drastically and I was having second thoughts, but I didn't want to be one of these people that says he's moving cross country and never does. Um, and I talked to my 
good buddy Joel. I've known forever. And he was a road manager for a band, Roscoe, that toured the Southeast then. And so I was hanging out with him. I looked at his big, thick, black date books that he carried everywhere. And they had about six or seven days off between their next gig. And so, like, drive with me. I'll fly you back. Just need to get to L.A. and everything will be great. And he agreed. And so we drove out there. He had just bought a new camcorder or video camera. So we're kind of recording the trip along there, not stopping that off and trying to get there pretty quick. Um, so it's long drives. And then as we're getting out west, it's getting a little bit tireder. And we're in Arizona and we stopped at this gas station late at night. It's probably like around 11 o'clock at night, I think. And he saw a hotel, a cheap hotel, it was like a Holiday Inn or something like that. And it's like, let's just get a hotel room there. It was only like 25 bucks or something like that. I'm like, that's a great idea. We're so tired. We're both tired. We got a six pack at the gas station, got to the hotel room, didn't even open one and crashed. Got up early. Actually, on the way to the hotel room, I remember we stopped at a door. Joel or I were either going to try and key into it just to go in. And I realized it wasn't our room. That's how tired we were. And we didn't touch the door and we went to our room, which was next door. Crashed, wake up early in the morning. There's a hot tub and pool down there. I like to swim. So we go down there, we're gonna talk about our day. We're in Williams, Arizona, the gateway to the Grand Canyon. The plan was to get going early, go to the Grand Canyon, check that out, and then straight to Vegas and on to LA. Um, so we went to the pool, took a swim for a while, talked about the plan, go back up to the room, and I was the first one to shower. I'm 99% sure. And so I had a sh shower, got dressed, was starting to pack up, and Joel's in the shower now, and the phone rings. And I answer it at the hotel, right by the, the, the phone, right by the bed. And uh, the guy says, this is Sergeant so-and-so, I don't remember his name, with the Williams Police Department. There's been a very violent act in the parking lot and we're trying to get everybody out of there as safely and quickly as possible. And I'm like, we're immediately concerned. And so, yeah, yeah, what are we going to do? And so he explains to me that the SWAT team is at the end of the hall and they're going to come down and get us out safely, he says. He's asked a lot of questions about who's in the room, where are we coming from, where are we going, how old we were, um, a lot. He's telling us not to wear any baggy clothes. He's telling us all the directions. And he's like, Joel will go out first and then you will go. And so Joel comes out of the uh, of the bathroom and uh, is changed up. And I tell him not to wear his boots because he told him not to wear boots. And I'm telling him, trying to tell him what's going on. Um, at this time, Joel wasn't a big fan of authority. He also had long hair well past his shoulders and um, was just like, hey, you can't tell us what to do this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen, this is what we're doing. And so um, I tell him that, you know, we're here. And so he's like, all right, we'll let you know when the SWAT team is there. Um, also, this while we were, I was getting out of the shower, Joel said that the helicopter had taken off out of the parking lot. So we knew something was going on out there. Um, so then the sergeant tells me that the SWAT team is at our door and for Joel to knock on the door, 
open the door slowly, put his hands out, wiggle his fingers, and take the direction from the SWAT team. So I tell him that. Joel goes, knocks on the door, fingers, wiggles him, and goes out, and the door is shut. And then I don't hear anything for about a minute or so. And then the sergeant's like, okay, Joel's down here in the lobby. Now hang up the phone and do the same thing. So I hang up the phone. I go over there, knock on the door, put my hands out, wiggle my fingers, and they say, walk across the hall and put your hands on the wall. We're on the second floor, mate. So I walk to the wall, hands on the thing, and we're about two or three doors from a big entrance that walks, steps down to the main lobby. And so I slide down in front of them where they tell me to do it. And they're like, all right, with your hands up, walk backwards towards us very slowly. Oh no, they tell me to turn around slowly. So I turn around, I see about, seems like eight SWAT team members with machine guns and lasers pointed on my chest, full helmets, everything. And so at this point they're like, all right, now turn around back to the wall. And I'm going so slow that they tell me to speed up. And then as I get there, hands on the wall, they're like, all right, back up towards us. I start backing up, they grab me by the belt, pull me into them, cuff me behind my back, bring me downstairs to the, through the lobby, out to the little parking area or the drive area to drop your luggage off, sit me on the curb next to Joel. And on the way there, they told me a cop has been shot. So I'm like, look over to Joel. I'm like, a cop's been shot. He's like, I know. And then another cop yells at us, no talking. And so we sit there for a bit. I don't remember how long. And then they bring two cop cars. They put Joel in the first one and me in the second one. So we're both in the back seat, separate cop cars, cuffed. Um, and it's about, it's early in the morning, about a couple hours, the police was like kind of talking to both of us. Joel took a nap during this time, by the way, <laughs> in the back of the cop car. I did not. And uh, the cop, it seemed like to be afraid. He's like, you know, we just got to make sure you know, what's going on? You had nothing to do with this. You know, it'd be a good story to tell down the road, blah, 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 blah. And so he would occasionally come by and do that and, you know, try and, you know, make us feel better, I guess. I don't know. And then after about four hours, I want to say, the, um, the news came and set the tripods up um, and we're filming us in the cop car. So we're that guy turning our heads away. Meanwhile, during this time, they two cars had been pulled up and in the street next to the parking lot. And in the parking lot, there's a dead body with a body blanket, a yellow blanket over him with his feet sticking out and a pool of blood around him. So I think they, they put us next to them thinking that if we were part of this, it would affect us, which it did. Well, what had happened was a guy had, about our same age had kidnapped a girl in Pennsylvania, we found, found out after, and was financing this trip on a stolen credit card. And that morning they had surrounded him in the parking lot and he shot a cop and then the cops unloaded on him and he was the dead guy in the parking lot. And that helicopter flying away was the cop. Um, and so we were in the room next door to the actual room, I believe, that we almost tried to key in the night before. Thank God we didn't do that. And, you know, same age group, um, 
And so they thought we might be with him. And so that's why they were holding us. After about the halfway mark with the TV cameras, they told us that we're waiting on the forensics department to come from Phoenix so that they can go through everything and it's the FBI agents and, you know, you know, clear us or whatever. I'm like, all right. So they show up, they ask if they can search the car for prints and search our room. I'm like, yep, yeah, whatever. And, and so they do. Um, but, it, you know, by the time they got there, it's now about six hours in. After about eight hours, um, they get us out of the car and they start asking us some questions and there's like a video camera. I'm like, yeah, we're videoing the trip. We, we're coming from Hilton Head. We're just stopping for the night. We're going to Los Angeles. I'm moving there. And they're like, all right, all right. And so they, at this point, knew that we had nothing to do with the other one. But they found a bowl in the room, which was, they asked me, is that yours? I'm like, nope. Like, is that your friends? I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, well, you know, um, even an empty bowl with residue in it is an arrestable offense in Arizona. I'm like, well, can this be our punishment? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to do anything. We're just letting you know. And then they walked us through the police tape and up to the room. We packed it. And the guy that was there with us was asking us, he's like, well, why did you have wet, wet shorts there or whatever it is? Like, we were in the pool right before it happened. Like, oh, but somehow they couldn't figure that out. And then they walked us right out into my car, which was still dusty. You can see where they dusted for fingerprints all over it. And we just drove away after eight hours there. And actually, before we left, I asked the, uh, one of the FBI guys, you know, that they've been filming us and that make sure that you know, it doesn't go out there. You know, they're like, no, 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 we've talked to them. You know, they're not going to put it out there. And so Joel and I immediately go to the first bar we see is a Mexican place for a burrito of Dos Equis and a shot. And as the food's about to arrive, we notice, we noticed it before, but there's a fairly big group of people just staring to even watching what's going on there. Like if they show us on TV, they're totally going to go after us in this bar. So we, we eat the burrito real, real quick and then hop in the car and drove directly to Vegas and skip to Grand Canyon. Um, and that was it. And so we were held for accessory to murder a police officer in Williams, Arizona in 1996, um, for eight hours in a hot, sweaty cop car, cuffed, filmed by TV, and then just drove away. Crazy story. Okay, we're back. We both listened to each other's or heard each other's memory. Um, and now we'll compare and contrast, although I don't think it's a huge amount. We're pretty pretty on the, the same uh, point, I think, huh, Joel? Oh, yeah. Almost everything. There's a couple small details that are slightly different. The amount of time we spent in the cars, I think, was six or so hours. You had it at about eight. Yeah. And it could have been. Um, the time, like you mentioned before, the helicopter, I think those times were off, but, um, I was pretty sure about that one. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be sure because I have no real memory of that thing taking off. I just remember being in the parking lot and wondering what it was. But then when we found out at the end that the officer had been airlifted to the hospital, I assumed that they had taken him out of there immediately on that thing. Yeah, so I, I remember coming out of the shower and you telling me that a, a helicopter had taken off. And so I was pretty sure that on that one that it had happened 
earlier when we were still in the hotel room, not in the car. But the six hours, definitely, it could have been six. I thought it was eight, but that one, I mean, who knows? It could have it easily could have been six. Well, like you didn't mention anything about that that travel journal. Do you remember them reading that and commenting on it? No, I don't. I remember the video camera more. I remember them looking at the video. Oh, uh, that's right. See, that's funny because I don't even remember the video camera. I only remember my road journal. That's interesting because that's I, that, it is. You just got it, I think, right before the trip, and you were always had a journal. I recall. So I maybe that's why I just yeah associate that. But you, I think you just got in the. Or record like a camcorder or whatever a small one like that um right and that's funny because i did have recently. one and i think i probably threw it away and it probably had a whole bunch of awesome footage on it <laughs> but uh yeah in the car was different you know because perspective like i was on the phone with them and it was it seemed like it was happening quick and there wasn't a whole lot of time to update you on what was going on and right. you out of there first um it's you had a lot more memories too of like in the car i just remember you know the guy coming back to me and you know trying to make me feel better you know like don't worry this isn't that big of a deal so i i had that cut my cousin Vinny cut in the back of my head for a lot of the time but the guy the cop that came up to us and he's like don't worry this will be something you tell about blah 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 because i every time he came i'm like yeah. didn't do anything wrong that, that is interesting because i'm wondering if that was the same cop that was calling me uh fast time yeah, he was calling you fast. I was calling me stud or something like that. We, he gave us each a nickname, I believe. Interesting. So it must have been the same guy. He didn't come for me much. He just basically said stuff like, we're looking into it. We're going to figure this stuff out. There was never any, like, this is going to be okay. Or I'm sure you guys are innocent type stuff. It was all about saying to where justice will be served type thing to where I read it almost like, yeah, and if you did end up killing my comrade, brother in arms, or whatever, I'll yeah, get I, you. Like, I, I felt that undertone. Maybe so. Like I, well, he wasn't necessarily comforting me. More like, you know, like you know, you guys did nothing wrong. You have nothing to worry about. Blah blah blah. But like, I kind of took it as, you know, we did nothing wrong. So I, but in the back of my head, I was, you know, definitely like this could get really ugly quick here. And then I remember when you did take the nap, I was shocked. I like. You're laying down in the back of the car, like, <laughs> looking. I'm like, is he sleeping? Uh, is he, is, you, you were in front of me. What's so funny is I thought that I, at the time, I remember you being so shocked by that. And me almost taking it like a compliment, like I was so tough and nonchalant hmm. that I could sleep during a you know, crazy time like that. But after telling the story, I think it's more about how my brain didn't have the ability to cope with what was going on, and it decided to shut down rather than trying to face reality. That's interesting. Look at maybe I don't know. It was it was scary. One other point too, and um, about how it happened. So my memory is that, and this is just maybe what the cops told us or whatever, but that they confronted him in the parking lot. He shot the cop, and then the cops unloaded him and killed him, and that's how he flew out. Is that how you remember? Oh, that's right. No, I was told. Or I remember hearing from the news that that guy pulled the gun out on the cop, shot the cop in the head, turned the gun on himself, and shot himself. I don't remember that at all, but it could be true. I mean, and I've tried to look this up, and I've never been able to. Did you? Like, like a half-assed Google search, and I've just, like, 
um, you know, Googled like police officer murdered in Williams, Arizona. But I mean, it was pretty much pre-internet or the very beginning of the internet. So I don't know. Maybe there isn't a huge right. on that from that. And it's a very small town. I can't believe. Imagine it. You know, it's a huge lot of right. A lot of press. Right oh, that was big news. It had to have been big news. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, yeah. Which would made it, you know, big news. But maybe it's not broadcast. I don't know. We'll have to look at that again. All right. Well, yeah, maybe do more than a half-ass search. Do like a full-ass <laughs> yeah, search. Yeah, full search. See if you can come up with something. That would be interesting, man. Because uh, I want to see how close we are to the actual historical facts of this. <laughs> Actually, we should do that. If we find that out, maybe we'll, we'll do a part three coming up. But other than that, we're pretty much right, right on point. I mean, was, maybe we've just told this story so many times and um, it's in our heads. But for the most part, we're pretty much agree on exactly yeah. what we've happened. But maybe we're both wrong on some of those things, too. Uh, I think that it's interesting. We both have our own perceptions from happened and I do think it includes the amount of information we were given and the trauma of it I think in embedded a certain a certain fact that really clicked with me so it's almost like snapshots I have in my brain of it yeah I, I agree with that like there's certain pictures that I when I think of certain aspects of it that come back and some kind of breeze by it's interesting <laughs> right I don't feel like we've embellished I don't feel like we have really altered much at all other than maybe you know some some time fragments where it just didn't line up uh, as far as chronologically but i think that the the big major things that went down during that incident we were both on the same page yeah and when you have the dead body in a pool of blood under the the blanket there or whatever it was the yeah. tarp um, that, that i won't forget yeah that's kind I of a key it was point yellow but i never said it was yellow and then, and then until you mentioned that i believe you said that yeah. that it was yellow and i just remember the contrast between the red and the yellow yeah that, that was the uh was the anchor of the story right there to say the least all right dude well i appreciate you doing this i had a lot of fun and it was uh it was a blast having you on uh tell everybody again where they can find you and Weed Co Delivery. WeedCodelivery.com. Thanks, Tom. It was a pleasure. I had fun. All right, great. Thanks, Joel. I'll talk to you soon. Later, brother. Thanks for listening to Five Plus One, a small business podcast. Please give us a like or a review if you like this episode. The music was done by Brooke Shabbat. If you need help with your small business when it comes to automation software, digital marketing, and getting paid or just have a question, you can reach him at TomShabbat.com. Thank you.